Let's take our Bibles and open up Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. going to preach a little on Jesus tonight. Amen. Revelation 3, and this is probably one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Verse number 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Amen. Brother Manny, would you pray and ask God to bless the message? Thank you for the church doors being open. Thank you for your good spirit this morning, the preaching that we were able to hear on both hours. God, we give you the glory for that. I thank you, Lord, that when you show up, Lord, that uh, Lord, that the little youngins and the, and the adult and the young people and the adults as well, Lord, we get a hold of it. What we thought we'd never see continue in, in this life. God, you see fit to show up, and your presence is real with us in this church. And I thank you for this church. I thank you for a praying church. I thank you for folks here that love you and folks that are in regular attendance. I thank you for those that have chose to join up with us. We give you the glory for that. Thank you for growing this ministry as you have. Amen. I pray now for this hour. I pray for Brother Woodard now. I pray, God, you'd use him in a mighty way. Might you rest on him with power. Might you breathe on your word as we always try to ask, Lord. It's very important. God, may our hearts be correct and fertile ground, God, that we take the word in and then adhere to it. I pray you be with us now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I don't know about y'all, but this morning was an awful special service. Amen. To be in a place where the Holy Spirit just shows up and the Lord shows up and just ministers. And whether that's ministering in your seat with tears running down your face or coming down the middle of the aisle and praising God and encouraging the preacher and encouraging the guys singing, or whether it's coming to an altar and going, God, I sure do love you and sure do thank you. And, you know, preacher would mention it this morning, but we just get in a hurry sometimes in life. And the devil, with most Bible believers, is not going to slow you down. And he's going to get behind you and he's going to push you and he's going to push you and he's going to get you moving faster, doing stuff, doing stuff, doing stuff. Because heaven forbid you're called lazy. And we find ourselves in a day and age where most, most men are lazy. And we don't want to be held to that same standard. We want to make sure people know we're different than they are and know that we're not lazy. But we forget to stop and remember what the Lord's done for us personally. And so what I want to try to preach to you tonight is the very first sermon you have to write in Bible school. It's what Jesus means to me. Paul says in Acts chapter 22 when he's standing there before Felix and Agrippa and they, and they go, all right, what do you have to say for yourself? And Paul goes, I think myself happy. And he begins to share his testimony to those men and tell them how good God's been to them. And so I'm going to try with the best of my ability tonight to tell you just how good the Lord's been to me. Because I don't know how a lost man goes through a day without, without the Savior. 
I don't know how you lay your head down at night and have any peace and not worry about tomorrow. I don't know how you get up and carry through the day. I don't know how you drive on the streets of this city without worrying about getting run over and not knowing where you're going to go if you die. Because without Jesus Christ, it's all a waste of time. It's all for nothing. It's all for just, just waste. Uh, you, you go out into the world and you see people and, and they're, they're working and gathering and getting and you watch them come to the end of their life and they, they have all of this stuff, they've amassed all of this wealth and there's for what? To leave it to another generation? Solomon says that, 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 that a man will amass all of this stuff and leave it to another generation and they'll squander it within a generation. That's what he says in the book of Ecclesiastes. A man will work and work and work and work and think he's created something and watching it passes on and it just goes away. Well, if the only thing that lasts is your relationship with Jesus Christ and the only rewards that are good is your fellowship with Jesus Christ, then why do we get caught up trying to work and work and work and work instead of focusing on the main thing? Because I know in my life, I remember, I remember as a six-year-old boy coming to Vacation Bible School. And I came to Vacation Bible School, and at the end of Vacation Bible School, they gave an altar call and said, anybody who wants to get saved, come down to the altar. Well, I came to the altar. And I'm standing there, and there's a kid named Todd Bush standing next to me who's about a year older than me. And they take us all in the back like you're supposed to do and, you know, tell you how to be saved and that kind of stuff. Except they didn't take me in the back. They're like, oh, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the chairman of the deacon's son. That's, that's the organ player's son. We need to talk to his parents first. And, I, and I'm like, I, I just want to be saved. Somebody tell me how to be saved. And they wouldn't tell me how to be saved because I was, I was too young. I didn't know any better. I didn't, know, I didn't have all the answers. I couldn't tell you what the Trinity was. I couldn't tell you about you know, eternal security. I couldn't tell you about the virgin birth. I didn't have all the right answers, so I just was too young to be saved. Well, believe it or not, as a six-year-old kid, I had a root of bitterness get into my heart that said, you know what, I'm not going to get saved until I'm 30 years of age. If they think I'm too young, I'm just going to live how I want to live, and at 30, I'll turn my life over to the Lord. Well, you know what I found? That God was patient with me. That the Lord was patient, and He just kept knocking. And He just kept knocking, and He just kept knocking, and He goes, hey, Woodard, I'm still here. And I'd sit back there, I'd sit, I'd, I was, I, we sat on this side when I was growing up, about where Brother Ernie did. And I remember being a 10-year-old boy getting ready to turn 11, ten, nine days before my birthday. And wild thing, my granddaddy was preaching a revival at my church. And I remember sitting there and he told the illustration of Herbie. And I, I don't know, have, most of y'all know who Herbie is. You've heard the story a hundred times, but it's my favorite illustration. Herbie was a, was a guy in a church where my granddad preached. The guy's thumbs were pressed in. He couldn't, uh, he, he, he didn't, he couldn't like, grip things. His thumbs were pressed. They didn't, and in those days, they didn't know how to do surgery to release his thumb and release the muscles. But he's pressed in. He was not all quite there. And he, and he talked with a lisp. And, but Herbie was in church, sat where Brother Donnie sits, from what my granddad says, 37 years in six different pastors, they could count on less than one hand how many times he missed church. He had an invalid sister that he took care of, and in order to get money to take care of that sister, he would walk all over East Lake, Ch Tennessee, Chattanooga, Tennessee, with an old ice cream cart that, he, that he'd fashioned a handle on to and put some wheels on, and he picked up people's old newspapers. And he'd go get those newspapers, and he'd bring them back to his house, and he'd lay them out on the back patio, and he'd stack them up and roll them up, put them in the, in the cart, and go down to the recycling plant. 
And he'd go down to the recycling plant, and they'd step up on the scale, and they'd weigh Herbie and his cart and his newspapers, and he'd go to the back and he'd drop them off. And then Herbie would come back and he'd stand back on the cart, and they'd weigh him again, and they'd pay him the difference. And they'd give us, they'd, that was how Herbie raised money to take care of him and his sister. And Herbie, on his way home from going by the recycling plant, was stopped by the church, and he'd knock on the door and, and go to the preacher's office on his way home on Friday afternoon. And he'd, and he'd take all of his money, he'd pour it out all the table, and the change would go everywhere, and the preacher would start counting, and he'd go, well, Herbie, you got, you got $110. And, and Herbie would go, well, preacher, what's my tithe? And, and, and the preacher would go, well, Herbie, your tithe is $11. Yeah, but preacher, you always talking about offering. I want to give offering. The guy's making $110 a week, and he's worried about an offering. Much less, he's worried, he's worried about his tithe, much less an offering. And he's taking care of two people in a home by himself, and he says, well, yeah, preacher, I want to put two extra dollars. And he'd put two dollars in there, and he'd go home. And he'd be at church on Sunday morning ready to give his offering day in and day out. Well, several years later, many years later, I got a chance to meet Herbie. He was in a nursing home. He was near about dead. He'd gotten some kind of, I don't remember if it was diabetes or something in his leg. And, the, and, the, and they were going to take his leg off. And my granddad let me go in to see him in the nursing home or whatever facility he was in. And uh, he said, Herbie, how, how are you going to do? And he goes, well, her, he goes, well, preacher, they're fixing to take my leg and his real broken, you just can't understand. And, the, and, the, and the, my granddad goes, well, Herbie, what are you going to do? And he goes, well, I'm going to hop on one leg, preacher, until Jesus gives me a new body. That's a guy who don't have any more sense than a second grader and he knows that Jesus is going to give him a new leg one day. But he and my granddad had this thing that whenever Herbie would leave, my granddad would go, Herbie, it's going to be thumbs up. And Herbie would go, you're right, preacher, going to be thumbs up. Going to be thumbs up. Well, that day we left the nursing home and we're walking out the door and we're, my, we're, we're steady walking towards the door and Herbie goes, preacher, going to be thumbs up one day. He goes, it is going to be thumbs up. That thing stung me. I'm like, that guy loves Jesus. There's no reason I can't. And I'm so thankful that as a 10-year-old boy, God kept knocking on my heart and kept knocking and kept knocking and didn't stop. Even though somebody else told me I couldn't do it, he said, you know what? I love that boy in spite of what everybody else says about him. I don't know about you, but... I bet you can remember a time when God reached down and said, I don't care what anybody else thinks about you, but I still love you. I, I still want you. I still need you. I know you're there. I know you're hurting, but I'm here. I'm here. If you'll just, my hand's out. If you'll just reach out and take my hand, it's right here. And he's been patient in my life, but he hadn't only been patient, he's been personal. He ain't been some God afar off that I can't get a hold of, that i got to go to some box and talk to somebody else or have somebody else intercede. I've been able to get a hold of God whenever I want to get a hold of God just by going, oh God, I need help. Amen. How many times we don't avail ourselves of that opportunity? How many times we don't go, oh God, I need help. We wait till the train's off the tracks. We wait till the car's in the ditch. We wait till the ox is in the, in, is in the ditch. We wait till things have fallen apart to then go, oh God. Why is our first thought not, oh God, what do I do? For some reason, we take it upon ourselves to try to control ourselves and go, well, I got it, I'm a man, I can walk, I can do, I can see it, I can hang on. 
And then, and then all of a sudden we find out, wait, where's God? Well, you left Him. You started walking on your own instead of going, Lord, where do you want me to go? What will that have me to do? I've said this before, but the thing that amazes me of the Lord, when you read through those four Gospels, He never runs anywhere. He's not in a hurry. He's not, it's not about getting it overnight. It's not about getting rich quick. It's not about having it tomorrow. It's about just enjoy the walk. He says, be still and know that I'm God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. There's nothing fast about the Christian life. But you've got to slow down and listen to Him. You know, if you're in the backyard and He's at the front door, it's kind of hard to hear Him. But what I love about Him is, even when I'm in the backyard, He's still knocking. He doesn't stop knocking just because I've gone off in the ditch or run off or done something stupid because He's interested in a relationship with you just as much as He's interested in a relationship with me. He wants to walk with me as much as He wants to walk with you. He's not in a hurry to see you grow up to be some great thing. He's just in a hurry to see you grow up. He just wants to enjoy watching you enjoy Him. Do you know how... I, I, man, to have been a fly on the wall in heaven this morning, to see Him getting glory, to see Him sitting upon that throne, to see the angels bow down worshiping Him and singing praises and the Shekinah glory all around Him, and that green rainbow and Him just sitting there being honored and adored... And I mean, you know what? Let me just open the battlements of heaven and show you all some people that love Jesus. Because I've done something for them. I've done something in their lives and it matters to them. And they come because I've done something for them. Not because of what they can get from me, but because I can do something for them. He's such a personal God. He's such a personal Savior. He stands and He knocks. He's a gentleman. He ain't beating on the front door and knocking the door down. He's not kicking the door in going, you're going to listen to me. He died on the cross, saved your soul, and said, here, have your life back. You know, the only thing you and I have to give back to Him is the life He already bought and paid for. The only thing we can offer back to Him is what He's already given to us. And the reality is, it's not worth anything. He can do everything He needs to do without you and I. But I heard this old preacher say this yesterday. He said, you know, he said, he said there's some things that God hasn't seen. He said, there's not a situation, God's never seen a situation He couldn't handle. He's never seen a sinner He couldn't save. He's never seen a substitute for His Son. And He's never seen a sinner that can save Himself. And Christian, you're here tonight and you're saved and you're enjoying the, the glory of the Lord, but too often times you try to save yourself in your own walk. Too often times you try to take care of yourself and walk your own way and take care of what you want to take care of and, and don't let God take care of you. Listen, it, it's not a handout. God's not going, well, they, they don't appreciate it. God, God's not looking down, you're going, well, they, they just keep taking, 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 taking. The Lord's in a given business. The Lord's in, in, interested in giving and giving and giving and giving. I've never seen anything God asked for, asked for me, ask anything from me that He didn't give me back something ten times better. Amen. God's never said, hey, Woodard, give that up, and then I'm, I'm, more, I'm worse off. No, it's always better. And so for some, but for some reason in our, in our minds, we can't say, well, it's a, 
Like, I'm going to give him a Kia and he's going to give me a Maserati. That's the trade. I mean, it's a Yugo, it's a Pinto, and it's a Bentley and a Ferrari and whatever else you want to call it. They're not even on the same level with one another. And yet, for some reason, we decide to just, well, I'm going to keep driving the Yugo because, well, I want to drive the Yugo. Well, the pro- that's really the problem. We'd rather drive the Yugo than have, what is it, self, self-drive or auto-drive in the Ferrari? You know, you don't get to press the throttle because he's controlling the throttle. I don't know about you, but I'd rather, ride, I'd rather ride in a Ferrari than drive a Pinto. Listen, I'm not going down Ponte Vedra Boulevard in a Pinto if, I've get, if the choice is a Ferrari. I'm not really interested in pulling up into Bible Leavers parking lot in a Pinto when everybody can see you in a Bentley. I mean, but that's how we treat our Christian lives. You have a personal Savior who loves you, who knocks, who desires to help you, but you want to keep driving the dirty old ragged car you're in. And for what? In in 50,000 years from now, the only thing that's going to show is what you did with Him. And when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ and you look at Him, you'll know you got exactly what you deserve. You'll know His judgment is right. You'll know His judgment was true. And you'll go, I wish I'd have done more. I don't think anybody's going to get to heaven and go, man, I really wasted some time in my life serving the Lord. You're going to get to heaven and go, man, I... I wish I'd have talked to that person. I wish I'd have read then. I wish I'd have listened a little more preaching. I wish I'd have sang a little louder. I wish I'd have given a little more praise. I wish I'd have done... You're not going to have any regret about any missed experience in life other than missing out on the experience of your fellowship with Jesus Christ. I don't care if you've climbed Mount Everest or you know, summited some great peak or done some other great feat in your life. It's not going to matter when you get to heaven. When you get to heaven, it's going to be, what did you do for Jesus Christ? Because everybody's going to know what He did for you. Because for all of eternity, there's going to be sunshine shining through two holes in his wrist. And you're going to see those things every time he holds his hands up. You're going to see the sacrifice he paid for you. Do you realize as a church age that you're the only one affected by that? You're the only one that gets to take all of the 100% benefit of what he did for you and I. The people in the Old Testament don't get the benefit that you and I get. They didn't get eternal security like you and I got. They didn't even get... We get to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. They got absent from the body, present in Abraham's bosom. I mean, that don't sound terrible, but it ain't heaven. It ain't, it ain't where we get to go. You and I get New Jerusalem. We get a mansion, we get a place built for us that no other hand has ever touched in the world. We get something that only God said, you know what, this is for my bride. This is for the one I died for, this is for the one I love. And everybody else in eternity gets to watch you and I. They get to go, man, I wish I was them. When you come to a wedding, you don't go, man, I'm thankful I'm sitting in the seat. No, you think about how good it was the day you got married. You go, man, I sure do love the one I'm with, and I sure am thankful for her. Well, you know what? For all of eternity, they're going to look at you and go, man, I sure do wish I was his bride. 
And the Lord goes, I want to give you the cattle on a thousand hills. I want to give you all of it. But you got to let me in. You, you got to learn to walk with me. You got to learn to worship with me. You got to learn to go where I tell you to go. You can't, you can't have all of that and do what you want to do. No, there's, there's going to be some sacrifice. You're going to have to let go of who you are. You're going to have to let go of your will. You're going to have to let go of your fleshly desires and go, you know what? I am not going to sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate ever again. I am not going to give up what God wants for some pinto to drive around in. I'm not going to give up what God has in store for me just so I can say I got a big house here on the earth. No, I want what God wants for me because God said I love you and He said I'll die for you and He says I'm going to keep knocking and I'm going to keep staying on top of you because I'm going to perform a work in you until the day it's over with. And folks, there is, there is no lack of opportunity at the foot of the cross. Everybody has a chance at the foot of the cross. Everybody gets a chance with Jesus. Everybody can get it right. Everybody can try it again. And you know what? There's a bajillion do-overs in Jesus. You don't have to get out because you messed up. You don't have to get out because you're mad at yourself because you fell again. Guess what? You're going to fall again tomorrow. You may fall again on the way home. But guess what? You can get right back in and you can keep going because he's still standing there. He's still waiting. He's still knocking. He ain't left just because you walked out. Uh, yeah, we want to beat ourselves up and have a pity party. Well, get off the pity party and get back with Jesus. The devil's the one going to have a pity party. Get out of his kitchen and get in the Lord's. But he not only has been, been patient, he's been personal, he's been persistent. He's kept knocking and he's kept knocking and he's kept knocking. Every one of you that's been saved for more than five years has had some period in your life where you weren't in perfect fellowship. Like preacher said, it's under the blood and it's behind him. He can't see it and we ain't going to drag it up. But the reality is, he kept knocking even when you weren't faithful. But you know what I've learned? I've learned that when, when, you're, in a, when you're on a ranch... Um, we had, I had an opportunity to go out to this ranch one time, and we're on this ranch, and it's like 20,000 acres. And like, we don't have anywhere that big in the south to hunt that's 20,000 acres. Like, you mean 20,000 acres, it's something like 50 miles to drive across it. Like, you don't have to worry about getting near the fence line in 20,000 acres. Like, there's good hunting all out in the middle of that thing. Like, I don't need to go hunt next to the, next to the man's property right next door because there's plenty of other hunting out here in the open. Well, you know what I realized when I was in the middle of that ranch? That the fence line never mattered to me as long as I stayed in the middle. Well, you know what I found out in the Christian life? I don't have to worry about where the fence line is. I don't have to worry about where being lukewarm and being on one side or the other. If I just get all the way out in the middle, I ain't got to worry about where the fence line is because I know I'm close enough to Jesus, I'm close enough to the house that the fence line don't matter anymore. I don't have to worry about, well, where's the border over there? I, no, if I'm far enough away from it, I don't have to worry about where it is. I can't see it. It's some imaginary line. I'm not even going to get close to it because there's nothing over there. All the good food's in the middle. But too often times, we want to get by the fence line because we want to see what they're doing on the other side. Well, what, are, what are they doing over there? Burning in hell. They're dying and going to hell left and right. And you ain't pulling them over. They're pulling you on the other side more than you're pulling them over. So just get in the middle and let God pull them over the fence and let God put them in the field and let God take care of them and quit trying to drag them in yourself. Because the old illustration preacher has used is the guy standing up here is a whole lot harder for me to pull up Brother Mark than it is for him. I mean, it's a whole lot harder for me to pull him up than it is for him to pull me down. 
Gravity has an effect on you at all times. 9.2 seconds, 9.2 feet per second, I believe Sophie told me this morning, is the gravitational constant of the earth. The world is pulling you down at 9.2 feet per second all of your life. One day, gravity ain't going to have an effect on us. One day, gravity is going to be defied and you're going up and you don't have to worry about coming back down. What's the old statement? I'm going to go up like Superman and come back like the Long Ranger. But if we'll get away from the fence line, if we'll get away from where we're, where we're tempted by what's on the other side, trust me, there's plenty of good food out here in the middle of the field. There's plenty of good food out here that God's offering each and every day. And you, won't, you know what? When you're in the middle, you can't even see the fence line. You don't have to worry about where it is because He's watching it. No wolves coming over that fence. Nothing dangerous is coming over that fence. Now, what happens is you get close to it and all of a sudden the coyotes show up and all of a sudden the grizzly bears show up and you know, man, that's a big old animal. Yeah, well, you get bit. You get snatched across the fence. And next thing you know, you're out of fellowship and you're going, well, how did I get over here? You got too close to the fence line. You got too close, but thank God he just keeps knocking. Thank God he just keeps knocking. He's persistent. Even when you jump over the fence, you know what? I'm here. Let's go. One more time. Let's get back across. It'll be all right. You know, I, I, I was uh, somebody sent me this this week. Old Vance Havner quote I remember from years ago. Vance Havner said, We have turned to the prodigal and we've put a jacket on him while he's still in the pig pen. And we've put a ring on him while he's still there. And now the church has got to a place where we're decorating the pig pen so he feels comfortable in the pig pen. No, when I read that story, the father never left the house. The father said, I'm right here. And when he comes to himself, when he gets in his right mind, he'll remember where he was and he'll come back to the good place. Listen, you and I aren't supposed to go to the pig pen to bring him back. We're supposed to pray for him while they're gone. We ain't supposed to be the elder brother going, oh, bless God, he's gone. Bless God, he's out of here. You know, uh, no, we're, man, we're supposed to we're hurt for those people that are out there in the pig pen. Because we know what we're eating and we know what he's eating. And it's like, man, I'm glad I ain't eating that slop. I'm glad I'm not dining on that filth. Do you realize I get ribeye every time I'm in the Father's house? Do you realize that it's a medium rare, well cut, bone in, you know, cowboy ribeye that is just phenomenal, that's all perfectly marbled and it's flavored right with the right amount of salt, the right amount of pepper, and you can just cut into it with a, with a knife, with a, with a fork, and just it melts in your mouth? We trade that for corn cobs. We trade that for slop. We trade that for the stuff they throw out and go, here, this is for the pigs. Nobody else wants it. You eat it. And God's going, no, I got a ribeye for you. I got something that... Whew, that's a picture of, of, of me laying down my life. That ribeye is an animal that didn't have a choice but lay down his life to feed you. And every time you cut into that thing, for me, it's like, that's what the Lord did for me. He said, this is bone of my bone. He laid down his life, and he didn't have to. He could have done something else with it. He could have started all over again. Why he didn't just start all over again? 
He said, no, they're worth saving. There, there's something of value there. There's something I like. There's something I see in, in, in them down there. And I'm going to do something for them. I don't know why. I see it. I mean, I, I, I know why he did it, because he loved me. But I don't understand it. Because if we're honest with ourselves, and you look yourself in the mirror, and you go, that guy, he ain't worth saving. Like, use him for a speed bump, as the preacher says. At least he'll slow somebody else down. But too often times, we're so busy jumping over the fence that the Lord has to just keep knocking. And you know what? If you stay in the middle of the field, I found out, he can stop knocking and you can just enjoy the fellowship. I don't have to keep answering the door as long as he's already in the house. You know? I mean, that's, I, when you're at home and you're in the comfort of your house, you're in the easy chair, and somebody knocks on the door, you do not jump up and go, oh, who is it? <laughs> no, you go, who is that? Yeah. Well, if he's sitting next to you on the couch, it don't matter who's knocking because he'll, he'll let him answer the door. It's like that story I told you about that lady in Pensacola who laid in bed for however many years. You know, she was laying there. I think she laid in bed for like, I think it was Miss Salter's lady's name. She laid in bed for something like 27 or 30 years. Laying in bed, could not get out of bed, 27 to 30 years. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I'd have much of a testimony after about 27 minutes. I mean, listen, I mean, don't get me wrong, I can take a good nap, but if you told me I couldn't get out of the bed, if you told me I'm stuck here and I couldn't go anywhere, this is where I'm going to live the rest of my life, and God didn't give me some immediate expiration date, you can't, I, I can't say I'm not going to have some pity party, get depressed, be down in the dumps, whatever. And you know what, Dr. Ruppman will go see her, and he tells a story, he goes, I'd go see her, and she'd, she'd say, Miss Salter, can you, say, can you praise the Lord? And she'd go, praise the Lord, preacher. They say, Miss Salter, doesn't the devil ever get on you and, 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 and give you a hard time and say something about you and, give you and give you fits? And he goes, you know what, he used to. But every time I see him stand at the door, I just go, Jesus, he's here again. Amen. Jesus, he's here again. She quit answering the door and let Jesus answer the door because Jesus was right beside her. Amen. She didn't have to go see who it was because Jesus was already right there. She didn't have to wonder, well, I wonder who's at the door. Well, it ain't Jesus because he's here. So, hey, Jesus, would you mind handling that for me? He's willing to handle everything if you'll let him. But you know what? Not only has he been persistent, he's been perfect. Didn't seem perfect in some of them moments. Didn't seem like it was... God's hand seemed like the thing, the walls were falling in and things were caving and, you know, tough was get, stuff was getting difficult. I remember when I got ready to go off to Bible school and I left and went off to Bible school and I'll be honest with you, I, I had already finished four years of college and had got my degree and had all those things and to be honest with you, while I, while I was in school, I had the safety of mama and daddy the entire time. Mom and Daddy took care of everything, paid for everything. I mean, I, I lived a good life in college. I wasn't wicked, wasn't doing terrible things, but I, my parents took care of me. Like, there's no question about it. They did unbelievably well. 
And when I got ready to go off to Bible school, my dad was like, hey, boy, it's time for you to grow up. And all of a sudden, I left home and went to Bible school, and I didn't have the safety of mom and daddy no more. And I had went from living in a really nice house, a really nice house on the river, had jet skis on the dock, had a fishing boat. And God said, what did I want you to preach? And I'm like, okay, I'll be glad to preach. Wherever you want me to preach, yes, sir. I want you to go over to Pensacola and go to school. Who's over there? I didn't know. I barely knew who Dr. Ruckman was. I'm like, I'd seen him one time in a, in a youth event, and I'd seen him a second time at a blowout I went to. And that's the only two times I ever heard of Dr. Ruckman. Didn't know what he taught. Didn't know. I just knew every time I prayed, that's where God told me to go to Bible school. And so on a Wednesday night, I drove over on a survey trip. Don't know a soul in Pensacola. Don't have hardly a nickel in my pocket. And I'm like, Lord, you got to show me where I'm going to live when I get over here. And drove over there, and I met this tall, red-headed fella. And he comes up to me and goes, hey, I hear you need a roommate. I'm like, yeah. He go, and he goes, great, I need a roommate too. And I'm like, great, well, where do you live? He goes, I don't know. Where do you live? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, that's great. We're roommates in our cars. Wonderful. And I'm like, but I know this is where God's called me, but it doesn't make any sense because I don't have a place to live. And before I left on that Wednesday night, this guy comes up to me and goes, hey, my roommate and I are moving out of this single wide, and if you'll come in, we'll let the people know who you are, and they'll rent to you because they like Bible students, and we're going to get out, and we're going to get out in August, and you can move in in August. And I'm like, Okay, well, this was before the internet. This was before cell phones. This was just you, you know, pick up the phone and dial somebody and you have a cord hanging off of it, a landline, and you call somebody. And Mrs. Glass answers the phone, and I'm like, Mrs. Glass, this, my name is Woodard Holland. Gabe Cochran gave me your number and told me that you might rent me the trailer. And she goes, well, do you have a job? I'm like, no, ma'am. She goes, well, how are you going to pay your rent? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'll find a job. I got a, I've got a degree. And she's like, what does that mean? I'm like... I don't know. I think it means I'll find a job. And so she goes, you know what? If Gabe says you're okay, you're okay. And I didn't even know Gabe. He just walked up to me and said, hey, if you want a place, here's a place. And so I told my parents, I'm moving to Pensacola. And I packed up my twin bed and a little tiny desk and drove six hours to Pensacola and moved into a trailer I'd never seen until the day I moved in. Didn't even know where it was. Just got an address, got a Rand McNally map. That's some big paper things you unfold. <laughs> Found where Lyman Street was and said, well, that's where we're moving into. And so we, I drove up, pulled in, and I'm like, okay, this brown mobile home is my life. And I open up the door, and it looks like the ocean. The floors are this all the way through, front to back. Well, you know, I prayed and asked the Lord. Well, you know, I'm like, Lord, I, you know, it sure would be nice to have water, you know, somewhere close to us, because I was raised on the water, love the water. Open up the back door, and there's a retention pond. <laughs> Better be specific. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You ask for water, the Lord will give you what you want. This may not be the Atlantic Ocean. But I moved in there, got, got in the back room and got settled. Started class, still didn't have a job. I'm like, Lord, what am I doing here? 
don't worry, you got a job, you'll find it. Wound up getting a job as a substitute school teacher, teaching school for a year, I, and I had no business at 22 years of age teaching school. Um, my first year substitute teaching was in the juvenile, juvenile correction facility, um, Escambia County Juvenile Center. Oh yeah, it was great. <laughs> I'm 22 and, the and, then, and I got a bunch of 18 year olds in there going, this guy's going to tell me what to do. Fortunately, I had an armed guard in the, in the classroom with us, so they tended to listen a little bit. But I'm sitting here going, Lord, I just left the castle and I'm living in the in the, in the whatever you call this. But you know what? God said, Woodard, it's working on you. And I can stand here now 25 years later and say that was perfect. Because what God needed to show me is that Woodard, you don't need somebody else, you just need me. And if you'll rely on me, I'll take care of your needs. And if you'll, and if you'll lean on me, I'll show you the right path and I'll show you where you ought to go and I'll show you what you need to be. But it sure didn't seem perfect at the time. I'm going, yeah, all things work together for good. That's what they keep telling me. This is weird. <laughs> like this, we played basketball in pants. Like I, I don't, never heard of that before. But God worked that thing out, and now today I can stand here and go, man. That three years I saw God on me more than I'd ever seen Him, and He was more real to me, and He was more precious to me, and I cared more about what He was doing with me than I, than I, than I ever knew that He cared for me that much. And that leads me to say, because of all of those things in my life, He's precious. And there's a sweetness. Man. There's a sweetness of just walking with Him. And when you bow your head and you go, Lord, morning. He goes, morning. And I know it's not audible, but man, it sure feels that way sometimes. It sure feels good when you get down on your knees and God goes, hey, good to see you again. When He's real, it's precious. And there is no substitute the world can offer you. There is no garbage the world has. There is no shiny bright whatever the world has that it can ever replace what He's done for me. You know, I, I remember when Jennifer and I met. <laughs> she and I didn't want to meet each other. We were on a blind date. We had, we both had been set up enough we were just not interested in one another. No interest whatsoever. I canceled on her. She canceled on me. We all kept finding reasons not to go out with each other. And so when we finally got together to go out, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to run this girl off. <laughs> well, like, I, I knew I was where I was supposed to be in my fellowship with the Lord. I knew I was walking with the Lord, wanted me to walk. Things were going really well at church. And I honestly did not want the distraction of a girl. I'm like, I finally have things in the right place. I don't need that. It's, 
Listen, I don't envy you, you single young people that are coming up in here. I cannot imagine what the dating world looks like right now. And, and, but it is miserable as a single person. You sit at home going, will I ever find somebody? And it, and it hurts and you cry and you're like, God, is there just nobody out there? Is there and, it, and, you, and you wonder and it's painful. But I got into a place where I realized, you know what, I don't need a wife. If God don't want me to have a wife, I'll serve God, do whatever He wants me to do, and I'll just do it without a wife. And so when she and I got together, I'm like, you know what, I am not, like, I'm going to tell her straight up everything, how I feel, where I'm at, and there's not going to be any, we're not doing the bait and switch here, where I'm going to show her the good Woodard, and then she's going to get the bad one after we get married, although she may tell you I still did that. But I was at a point where I'm like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not playing this game anymore. And so when we met, I was not nice to her. I mean, I wasn't rude, I wasn't a jerk, but I also was like, look, this is where I'm at, this is what I'm doing, I'm not tolerating this, I'm not, I had three, I had three rules, and they were, I'm not ever going to your church, so don't ask me. Now, the bad thing was her granddad got saved and got baptized, and I still refused to go to the church because he was getting baptized because it wasn't our church. That was kind of dumb in hindsight. The second thing was, if we get married, you're living in my house. I'm not moving to your side of town. And the third thing was, our first, our first son will be Woodard Manning Hall in the third. So you can ask her. I, on our third date, I said, these are the three things. If you can't abide by them, we should just stop. <laughs> and she had the wrong Bible. And she didn't want to meet me so bad, she didn't shower before she came to our date. She went to the gym, went home, threw a dress on, and met me. That's how bad we weren't interested in each other. But a love grew there. And a desire grew there. And God put something together that so far is doing pretty good. But I tell you all that to say that when we got ready to get engaged, I gave Jennifer an engagement ring. And I gave it to her, and that engagement ring became something of value to her because it showed her that I cared enough about her that I, I, I'm like, I want to make you mine. I, I don't want anybody else to have access to you, and I want anybody else to have, I want you and me and nobody else. Let's cut everybody else out and it just be me and you. And that's what that ring meant to her. That's what that ring said to her. And you know, to this day, 15 years later, she still cleans that ring. She still polishes that ring. She still makes sure that it goes in the stuff and, and comes out shining. And a couple times a year, she takes it to the jeweler and makes sure the stone is still set right and makes sure the stone is still in the right location and makes sure everything is where it should be so the stone doesn't fall out. Because she doesn't want to lose the ring that I gave her when I said, I love you, will you marry me? You know what? That ring is like your Christian life. God gave that thing to you. 
And he said, here's your salvation. I loved you enough. I paid for it with my whole life. Amen. And he said, I'm going to give it back to you. And you take care of it however you want. And you know what? If it's precious to you, you know what you do? You make sure it stays clean. You make sure it stays shining. You make sure that the, the stones are turned upright so that when you're walking around, everybody can see who your husband is. Because you want the world to know, I, he's, he's mine. Yeah, he, he wanted me. He wanted me. He, he wanted everybody to see me. And you know what she does a couple times a year? You take it to the altar and you go, Lord, are the stones still set right? Is it, is it, is it still tight? Is it still where it should be? Are we, are we still good? Because it's precious to you. So I ask you tonight, how precious is he to you? When's the last time you checked up on him? When's the last time you checked the stone and said, Lord, are we, are we square? We got a meeting coming up. We got a meeting coming up. When we get in that building, it will be because God got us in that building. It will not be because I did some wonderful thing. It'll be because God did it in spite of me. It'll be because He said, you know what? He's a dummy. And I better get involved because if I don't, it'll never get finished. But I know, you know what? I hope for each and every one of you in here that when you go into that meeting, your ring's shining. I hope your relationship's shining. I hope that all the hundreds of people that are coming from here all over can see just how shiny Jesus is to you. That He can just see, see the light of Jesus shining out of your heart. And it shines out of your eyes and it shines out of your voice and they just smell Jesus when they walk in this building. But they don't see any of us, they just see the Savior. But you know what? We can't get ready for that if we're not ready now. We can't be ready for Him to show up over there if we're not preparing our hearts right now. The verse says, the horses are prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. That means you and I still have to do our part to be ready and the Lord will take care of showing up when He wants to show up. Amen. And so I want to ask you tonight, are you ready? Is He precious to you? Do the people around you know He's precious to you? Do the people that you see on a regular basis know that He's important in your life? Or do the people around you just go, well... Yeah, they're Christians. See, I've learned something in the Christian life that when you're walking with the Lord, it's, it's really hard to hide it from people. They just know something's different about you. They know you're not the... I don't know what it is about that guy, but he's, he's got something I don't have. And they're interested in, like, what's, what's different? Or they recognize it, and they go... They're blinded by the light. And it ain't your light, it's His light. Amen. 
You and I can't make the stone shine. He makes the stone shine. He is the rock. He is the rock upon which we stand, and He is the one that lights, it is the light of our soul, it is the light of our life. But in order for you to shine, you have to ask Him, Lord, is it polished right right now? Is it where it should be? And so I ask you tonight, when's the last time you took it to the jeweler and said, hey, where are we? 